Vince McMahon wanted to make Ahmed Johnson a superstar from the moment that he saw him. Sure, Ahmed was already in his 30s, but at 6 foot 2 and 305 pounds of pure muscle, he checked a lot of McMahon's boxes. In 1995, he burst into the Federation and he made a refreshing change from some of the losers already on the roster at the time. For a while, Johnson looked like a real prospect. He was backing up Shawn Michaels and he won the Intercontinental Championship. But the push didn't last long. Despite being over with the fans, he was soon derailed and demoted to the mid-card. In this video, we're taking a closer look at how Ahmed Johnson rose to prominence in 95 and 96 before it all came crashing down. Before we get into today's video, let me know if you enjoy these kinds of wrestling documentaries by giving it a thumbs up and subscribing to the channel if you haven't already. Johnson briefly worked in Japan before wrestling locally in Texas. In 1993, Johnson joined the Global Wrestling Federation. He often said that his time in the GWF brought him the most enjoyment of his entire career. He made great friends there and it taught him the discipline needed for a life in the wrestling business. While Johnson was in the GWF, he was scouted by Vince McMahon. He saw him on tape and was so impressed he booked him a flight to Stamford. Despite the fact that he was already in his 30s, Johnson's formidable presence was undeniable. He was a mountain of a man and he oozed charisma. McMahon saw massive potential in him, but the WWF didn't give him a mega push right off the bat. Instead, they built him up slowly. Johnson's first match in the WWF was at In Your House 3 in September 1995, where he wrestled Skip from the Body Donners. This was a dark match that wasn't included on the pay-per-view broadcast, but things started hotting up in the lead-up to the 1995 Survivor Series. On an episode of Raw, he made an impact by body-slamming Yokozuna after a match, and then he managed to do it twice again at the Survivor Series. It was easy to tell that McMahon thought of Johnson as his next megastar, because he gave him the body slam angle. It worked in the past with Hogan and Andre, and they tried it with Lex Luger and Yokozuna a couple of years earlier. Johnson later claimed that Yokozuna was against the idea of being body slammed by him, but later they did become good friends and often travelled the road together. In fact, some of the boys in the back were against working with Johnson at all when he first debuted, they thought that he worked too stiff and was clumsy in the ring. But still, the WWF did a great job of building him up in these first few months. At the Royal Rumble, he beat Jeff Jarrett by disqualification. This match made it clear that Johnson was still very inexperienced in singles matches. The WWF quickly realised that the big man needed some seasoning before being pushed any further. So he was kept dominant on house shows and on TV, but pay-per-view was a different story. Johnson wasn't featured at all on the February In Your House show. Instead, he beat Isaac Yankum in a dark match. 
Later, he was involved in tag team matches both at WrestleMania and the April In Your House event. He was showing real signs of improvement over the first quarter of 1996 and the WWF gave him the ball at the King of the Ring where he beat Goldust for the Intercontinental Championship. It was a pretty decent match and more importantly, the crowd popped for Johnson when he picked up the win. In fact, he was really easy to like at this early stage in his career and it felt like the future was going to be really bright for the first ever African-American Intercontinental Champion. Things were looking good. McMahon was now ready to give Johnson a bigger opportunity and it seemed as though a main event push was inevitable. He continued to be paired with Shawn Michaels in tag team matches to keep getting that rub from the golden boy. But despite the men's friendship on TV, things were not as friendly backstage. It was now July 1996. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall had both gone to WCW and the clique in their original poisonous form were no more. However, Shawn Michaels continued to be a total asshole backstage and he still held massive influence over Vince McMahon. According to Johnson himself, him winning the Intercontinental title was when Michaels turned on him. He allegedly got in McMahon's ear and tried to pour cold water all over Johnson's push. In an interview, Johnson said, They didn't want to see me push that high. I don't know why, personal reasons. I was green, I'll say that. I was still green and learning, but I think I was ready for the world title shot. Because Sean had the belt and everything, he was running the show back then and he was basically picking who was going against him. From my understanding, what I heard, he didn't think it was time for a black man to be world champion. I didn't hear him say that when I was intercontinental champion and popping the house everywhere I went. He also claimed that there were other hostile forces in the locker room, with one unnamed superstar apparently keying his car with a racial slur. On a July episode of Raw, Johnson teamed up with Michaels to face the smoking guns for the tag team titles. During the match, Farouk attacked Johnson, leading to the match being thrown out. A couple of weeks later, Johnson became the number one contender to the WWF Championship after winning a battle royal. This would be a turning point in Johnson's career, but not in a good way. Johnson was diagnosed with a legitimate kidney problem by his doctor and he wouldn't get his WWF Championship match either. We will never know what might have come from this title shot. I mean, it's unlikely that he would have won the title, but it could have seen him rise up to become a permanent main eventer. Farouk attacked Johnson in order to write him off TV. He'd be gone for months getting treatment for his kidneys, but the WWF didn't quite give up on him just yet. He picked up the feud with Farouk when he returned, leading to matches at the 1997 Royal Rumble and WrestleMania 13. Farouk had since formed the Nation of Domination and the feud grew into Johnson taking on the entire faction. It was a surprise when he turned heel on The Undertaker to join the Nation himself, leading to a match between the men at In Your House Canadian Stampede. 
Unfortunately, Johnson picked up an injury and couldn't compete in the match. It was incredibly bad luck that both of his pushes into the main event had to be written off due to legitimate health concerns. Johnson's feud with the Nation of Domination had already been done to death, but it was rehashed all over again after he was kicked out of the group. A lot of his fellow wrestlers held the belief that he was dangerous to work with, so when he legitimately injured someone, he got a whole lot of heat for it, and that's exactly what happened on an episode of Raw in November 1997. He gave Owen Hart a nasty concussion, and then on the same night, he managed to get into a legitimate fight backstage with D'Lo Brown, and Johnson himself was becoming increasingly injury-prone. During a brawl with the Disciples of Apocalypse, he blew one of his knees out. From this point onwards, Johnson's push was dead in the water. He returned at the 1998 Royal Rumble to basically no reaction at all from the fans, and he got gassed almost immediately. And by February 1998, he was done. Johnson was scheduled to take part in a violent angle where he would be ambushed by the Truth Commission and dragged backstage before receiving a beating. In reality, Johnson's sister was fighting a terminal illness and he didn't want that to be his sister's last image of him. Just 15 minutes before he was to enter the ring, an urgent call came through. Ahmed learned that his sister's condition had deteriorated and he needed to go to the hospital. Johnson left the building without informing anybody where he was going. He just packed up and left. In the time since, Johnson has said that he regrets the way he left the company, but he didn't want to be a burden to anyone with his problems. But it seems that there were other underlying issues making him unhappy at the time. There was a family issue that needed my attention, but on top of that, there were other things going on behind the scenes that didn't sit right with me. I started noticing a lot of racism going on. It called me not wanting to be there and back off. At the end of 1999, he resurfaced in WCW, where he took on the gimmick of Big T. Johnson was thrust into a storyline with Booker T over who owned the rights to the letter T in their name. WCW was on its ass at the time, and that whole angle was the absolute pits. After briefly teaming up with Stevie Ray to form Harlem Heat 2000, Johnson was released from his contract. In the years since he left, WWE have hardly mentioned Ahmed Johnson. Unlike even less successful performers from his era, he doesn't appear in the video games and he doesn't even have an action figure. And that's probably got less to do with how he left WWE and more to do with the bad mouthing he's done towards them in the interim. In the many shoot interviews he's been a part of, Johnson has not shied away from the issues he found in the locker room back in the 90s. Ahmed has weaved some yarns over the years, the kinds of yarns that won't have ingratiated himself with WWE management. But really, it was probably a combination of reasons that Ahmed Johnson didn't peak any higher in the business. He certainly had the look and the charisma to succeed, and goodness knows Vince McMahon has done a whole lot more with a whole lot less in the past. <laughs> 